So Lucretia Mott apparently came across as a very sort of demure woman, you know, and she knew the Bible inside out and backwards. But once she got going, once she started fighting with her words for justice, um, it was pretty hard for anybody to really counter her in any effective way. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton, of course, she was a brilliant writer and she was just an incredibly brave woman. She didn't mind who objected to what she was doing. So I think, you know, as an individual, it was the same kind of spunky, bold, brave behavior that it, it was so inspiring. That was historian Sally McMillan talking about Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton two of the organizers of a landmark event, the first ever convention for women's rights in America. It took place on July 19th and 20th in 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York. I'm Milan Brevere, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. To celebrate the anniversary of Seneca Falls, we talked to Sally McMillan about the visionary women who launched a movement for women's rights. Women like Mott and Stanton, and also Martha Coffin and Lucy Stone, as well as men like Frederick Douglass. Dr. McMillan is a professor emerita of history at Davidson College. Her books include Seneca Falls and the Origins of the Women's Rights Movement, and Lucy Stone, An Unapologetic Life. Listen and learn from Sally McMillan why the women of Seneca Falls and their supporters are among Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm speaking today with Sally McMillan, who is an American history professor with a strong focus on the role of American women in our history. And it's particularly delightful to have you with us, Sally. Oh, thank you for including me. This is great. Well, we are about to mark the anniversary of the Seneca Falls Convention, that first women's rights convention here in the United States. And it would spark suffrage and so much more. And for that reason, we're particularly delighted to have you share your expertise about Seneca Falls with us. Uh, why was it such a landmark event? Well, I think you've already sort of highlighted the main reason in that it was the first organized meeting whereby women and a few men gathered to really discuss, to protest all the injustices that women in this country faced. And I think in today's world, it's hard to even imagine that, say, back in the 1830s and 40s, women had virtually no rights. They couldn't vote. They couldn't serve on juries. They couldn't hold major professional opportunities. They, except for two exceptions, could not attend college. Uh, they basically were supposed to spend their time in the home taking care of the children and their husbands um, in what was called a separate sphere. But they began to realize that it was simply not fair in what was supposed to be a democratic country, that they virtually were not even considered citizens. And when they were about to embark on this journey, was it one fraught with risk, the possibility that nothing would come out of it, or one where they were convinced it would make a difference? Well, I mean, you always go into a movement with hope. And 
uh, many of the women who were eventually engaged in the in the the uh, women's rights movement, of course, had started out in the anti-slavery movement, and so they had some grounding in how they needed to organize and what they needed to do. But when you think that it took seventy-two years from the time of the Seneca Falls Convention until finally the Nineteenth Amendment passed in nineteen twenty. Um, it was a long, difficult struggle. Men did not want to share their power. And it's still the case in so many ways today, I, I regret to say. But let's talk about some of those extraordinary women, uh, women like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott. Can you tell us about each of them? Well, Lucretia Mott, who was born in 1793, was one of the most famous women in America at the time. She was a Quaker minister, the mother of five children, married. Um, and she was, of course, a strong advocate of abolition and very involved in the formation of the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society. Um, she, she was just an amazing woman and a brilliant speaker. And so, like these other women, she began to realize that women needed their rights, and she needed to fight for them as well as fight for the freedom of slaves. Um, she, it, it, she was one of the organizers of the Seneca Falls Convention. She was visiting her sister, Martha Wright, who lived in Auburn, New York, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton lived in Seneca Falls. And so those three, together with two other women, were the ones who gathered for a tea party, <laughs> began to speak and talk and get outraged at how in unjust the world was. Um, so Lucretia Mott apparently came across as a very sort of demure woman, you know, and she knew the Bible inside out and backwards. But once she got going, once she started fighting with her words for justice, um, it was pretty hard for anybody to really counter her in any effective way. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was born in 1815 in Johnstown, New York, was from a um, quite a privileged family. Her father was a judge. Um, her brothers had died. All of them had died. And so growing up, Elizabeth Cady Stanton tried to become the son whom her father no longer had. She was well-educated. She went to Emma Willard Academy one of the best schools for girls at that time. So she had, for that time, a very good education. And But growing up, she always felt the injustices that women, women faced. And she was, she was spunky. She was brilliant. She was a, an amazing writer. And so it just so happened, of course, in July of 1848, um, she was one of those five women at this tea party where women decided they needed to take action. And they decided that they needed to have a meeting to hold a conference, just as anti-slavery advocates had been doing, in order to express their outrage, to uh, basically create lists of the injustices that women faced, and to try to do something about it. And so out of this meeting of these five women, they knew they had to take action almost immediately. Here was Lucretia Mott, one of the most famous women in America, with them, and they knew that she would help gather a crowd. We think primarily it was Elizabeth Cady Stanton who created what was called the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments, 
And this was very typical of anti-slavery societies was to draw a similar document. And what Elizabeth Stanton did, along with the help of two other women, was to create the list of injustices and the demands they wanted to change. And very smartly, they based their model on the Declaration of Independence. But rather than blaming George III, <laughs> uh, yes, we know from a revolutionary American Revolution fame, um, they, they blamed men rather than George III. And of course, one of the most ringing statements in that declaration is she wrote, all men and women are created equal. So Sally, how would you as an historian describe the great influence of uh, Stanton and Mott uh, and their impact on the women's movement? Well, of course, there were many other women involved, but just focusing on those two women, uh, first of all, I think they set an, un, an well, they set a pathway to this bold behavior. The idea that women would actually challenge their inferior status, that they would speak in public, that they would create this document where they were listing all the injustices women faced was something that had an impact and still does today when we think about what women were enduring back then. In terms of actual uh, things we think about in terms of these two women, I think with Lucretia, her basic impact was her bold rhetoric, the fact that she spoke in public, which women were not supposed to do, her fighting spirit, um, her relentless energy, both for abolition and women's rights. So I think just as an individual, as a leader in this movement, um, she's, she's just amazing. It's interesting, we, when, we had, uh, when we owned our first dog, we named her Lucretia Mott McMillan. Um, <laughs> So Lucy, uh, Lucretia Mott has always been a favorite, but they all are. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton, of course, lived longer, and she also wrote a lot. She was a brilliant writer, and she was also she had she was just an incredibly brave woman. She didn't mind who objected to what she was doing. So I think you know, as an individual, it was again the same kind of spunky, bold, brave behavior that it, it was so inspiring. The fact that she was probably the principal author, as I mentioned, of the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments, but she did so much more. Even though she couldn't attend the many conventions, women's rights conventions that were held beginning in 1850, um, she didn't attend any for, uh, I think it was 10 years, because she raised seven kids, in addition to everything else she did. Um, but once she got reinvolved, she began to write and to appear and to speak out um, for women. Other things she did, she wrote a woman's Bible that came out, I think, in 1892, two volumes, where she realized, as did many women, how so much in the Bible was so repressive about women's status in terms of their not speaking and their being inferior to men. And so she took all the phrases in the Bible and wrote them down and then had commentary added to it and created this Bible that, again, was an incredibly bold thing to do. She was a lecturer uh, for women's rights beginning after the Civil War. She, I think for 10 years, she was out on the circuit speaking boldly and, and forthrightly. Um, and then she and Susan B. Anthony in the early 1880s, 
created a history of women's suffrage. They were responsible for producing the first three huge volumes of that history. Um, and even though it's a very, very skewed history, uh, it still has an amazing number of documents and information and speeches and, and publicity about the women's rights movement from that point on. It's just fascinating and, and how remarkable they were for their time and even for these times in terms of their courage and the way they went about their commitment. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. You mentioned some of the lesser-known players. Specifically, you mentioned Martha Coffin Wright. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yes, and if if people want to read a recent book, there's a book that just came out, I think, a couple months ago, ago called The Agitators. Mm. She's one of the three women highlighted in that book because they were all from the same region. Um, in any case, um, Martha was Lucretia's younger sister. She was, I think, younger by 13 years. But she also was a strong abolitionist and began to speak out for women's rights. I think she was active for about 20 years. She, too, had children to raise. Um, and she was also, she and her husband were part of the Underground Railroad. So they were among those many people who hid slaves as they were fleeing north to Canada. Um, so again, she's a very remarkable woman. I think she died in her mid to late 60s, so did not live as long. But nevertheless, you know, a good, well, she was actually banished from the Quaker faith because she married outside of it. But nevertheless, she was raised with this same belief in human equality that Lucretia Mott had in her upbringing. You know, you mentioned abolition, and I know that uh, Frederick Douglass was among those who made the journey to Seneca Falls. You also mentioned uh, very briefly that there were other men there. Can you tell us a little bit about the good men, so to speak? <laughs> yes, and these were good men because, you know, fighting for women's rights was not popular. Um, Yes, Frederick Douglass was living in Rochester, New York in 1848, and they sent him a special invitation to be present. And he came and he played a significant role. First of all, men were not al allowed uh, during the first day of the conference. It was July 18th and 19th, 1848. And the women wanted to have the first day all to themselves. But the second day, they invited, <clears throat> invited men to be present. And the last day, one of the most important issues that they tackled was to vote on the Declaration of Sentiments and all of the demands it was making, including, of course, the most radical of all, that women be given the right to vote. And so none of the other uh, demands really encountered any kind of challenges except that one. Even Lucretia Mott was thought, indeed, asking for the right to vote might just be counterproductive. It was too soon to ask for that. But it was Frederick Douglass who saved the day because he actually stood up and he said something to the effect that, you know, if I am fighting for the rights of my own people, of black and white, uh, black and black men and women, uh, I am also fighting for the rights of women and women should have the right to vote. And so that changed the, um, the feeling in the, in the gathering of some 200 people and they also voted that when indeed they would pursue women's right to vote. 
And Frederick Douglass, just in past, he, he maintained his support of women's rights throughout his lifetime. These were really um, very gutsy women in many ways. And I wonder, you know, there's still a, a backlash against women who are trying to gain their rightful place and, and share power uh, in many places. And I wonder, did these women suffer any? Were they pummeled verbally or otherwise for the roles that they played? Oh, the out the the outbursts of of opposition were just incredible. Of course, in the press, so many people were absolutely appalled that women would challenge their role in society. You know, they had the Bible to go on, they had tradition to go on, they had the laws. For instance, uh, the laws that related to married women said that women had to turn over any of their possessions to their husband. They could not not sign contracts. Divorce was nearly impossible. You know, being a married woman at that time, and of course, most women did want to marry, was a truly secondary position for um, for women. Lucretia Mott's um, house almost burned down, I think, mostly because of her stance on abolition. But um, one of my one of, one of my other favorite women in this whole pursuit of women's suffrage was Lucy Stone. I actually wrote a biography of her. And there are so many accounts of her standing up and speaking for women's rights and for uh, abolition. And books were thrown at her. Rotten fruit was thrown at her. At one point, men opened a window behind the stage and doused her with ice cold water. Uh, Crowds would, would mob the speakers on the stage. It was nonstop opposition. Uh, it was very, very difficult for them. That's why they're just incredibly, seen as so incredibly brave. The other thing I just wanted to mention is that we're talking about the opposition. And the opposition for women demanding their rights came from a lot of women. I think one of the most discouraging things for these women who were fighting so hard and so bravely was that there were so many women who were against the right the demand for, against these women who were demanding their rights. I mean, we see this today, even that some women, you know, don't want to, don't want to challenge the, the status quo. And um, it's very discouraging, but um, yeah, I don't want to say their lives were threatened, but certainly um, they encountered incredible opposition. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned uh, Lucy Stone. What impact did she have? I know she wasn't at Seneca Falls, but how did she then join the movement and what impact did she have? Well, Lucy Stone's commitment to women's rights actually began before um, Seneca Falls. First of all, it's important to know that she was one of the very first women in this country to get a college degree. She attended Oberlin Collegiate Institute. Her parents totally opposed her going. Her father refused to pay. And she raised the money by teaching and uh, traveled 600 miles from her home in Massachusetts to get a degree. There for four years, made her mark. She was apparently a brilliant student. When she graduated in 1847, she made the very unusual decision that her professional life was going to be as a, an anti-slavery speaker. And so she began lecturing for the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society in 1847. And so, in other words, well, several months before Seneca Falls. And shortly thereafter, she began speaking. She also began to speak for women's rights. She had been raised uh, in a very 
um, open-minded family. They were strong abolitionists. And she encountered so many uh, situations where women also were treated unfairly. So this was very much a part of who she was. When she married in 1855, she didn't want to marry because she didn't want to lose her rights. But finally, a man found her and wooed her and won her. Uh, she kept her maiden name. So anyway, she, she devoted her life to women's rights and to um, anti-slavery. She was one of the um, founders of the two women's rights organizations that began in 1869. The next year, she started the Woman's Journal, which was a newspaper that ran until 1920, published every week um, to talk about women's rights and what women were doing and women's lives. She was just an absolutely amazing woman. But she was not at Seneca Falls because she had already begun her lecturing career. But the next, in 1850, she was one of the organizers of what began a series of women's rights conventions. Met, they met every year, an annual convention. And Lucy was often the one who organized, raised the money, found the speakers and the place. So very, very involved. Well, we owe so much to these pioneering brave women. How would you encapsulate the lessons that we should take from them and from Seneca Falls itself and what it represented to the history of uh, the United States and to women in the United States? Well, I think, first of all, everybody should know about Seneca Falls. They should know what it means when that, uh, that is mentioned. I think everybody should read the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments to really understand what women were fighting for back there beginning in 1848. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I am constantly amazed and inspired by these women. I, I hope that had I lived then, I would have been right there fighting with them. And as I said, 72 years it took for women to finally, finally get the right to vote and to be considered true citizens. So uh, I just I just think these women are marvelous, and everybody should read biographies of the, biographies of them and and really understand what an inspired group they they indeed are. And we owe so much to them. Uh, you know, I often say that the journey that took place by so many of them 173 years ago actually continues that journey for women's equality. Uh, and many of us, all of us uh, who care are still on that road. So I can't thank you enough for joining us today to talk about just how significant this historic event was, these extraordinary women who were engaged in it from the outset, and what we owe to them, and the very strong lesson, I think, that we really should know more than we probably do know in terms of the history of Seneca Falls and the work of these great women. Thank you so much, Sally McMillan. Oh, you are most welcome. It was a delight to talk to you. What a debt we owe these women. Here are three things I took from that conversation with Sally McMillan. First, it's important to remember what life was like for women in the 1840s and how much courage it took to speak up at Seneca Falls. As Sally tells us, Women couldn't vote. They couldn't serve on juries. They couldn't enter professions. And with a few exceptions, they could not attend college. Women who did campaign for equality, crusaders like Lucy Stone, were jeered at, threatened, 
They even had rotten fruit thrown at them. But the heroes of Seneca Falls, women like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Martha Coffin, and the others, were undeterred. And they were helped in their fight by the men who attended the convention, including Frederick Douglass, who spoke passionately on behalf of women's rights. They launched a movement that put this country on the long road to the passage of the 19th Amendment in 1920. Finally, to really understand what these women were fighting for, read the Declaration of Sentiments that Elizabeth Cady Stanton wrote and delivered at the Seneca Falls Convention. Its words remind us that all men and women are created equal. And tune in next Thursday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day.